This podcast is proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, giving is a very deeply personal thing, and they believe that your fundraising should be too. This is actually something we talk about a lot on this very podcast in terms of how can we grow, improve, and optimize giving and generosity. So traditional impersonal fundraising tactics often alienate donors and create a distance between them and the impact that they want to have. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. And I have to say, I think it's a great product. I've referred multiple nonprofits and charities over there in the past and continue to do so in the future because I believe in the people and the product and I just think it's a really good modern piece of fundraising focused software. So I recommend you check it out. And if you are interested in finding out more, you can go to virtuous.org slash generosity. That is virtuous, V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S dot org slash generosity. Welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. I am Riley Landenberger, and in today's episode, you'll hear from Ben Johnson, founder and lead strategist at Frontier Marketing. You'll get to hear the story of how Ben accidentally started his agency, and then he shares a bit about key differences he sees in fundraising in Canada versus the US, online and offline giving trends, and why he decided to start a podcast, and what audio may or may not have to do with nonprofits in the future. So without further ado, I am going to hand things on over to Brady. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. I said, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Hi, Ben. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, hello, Brady. Okay, so we have a long history, which we don't need to get into for the purposes of this podcast, but we go back a ways. Uh, and do you remember way, 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 way back, I think even before you started your agency, you and I and two other folks were in very brief discussions about starting our very own agency, the four of us. Oh, I do. I see. I was, I was wondering if you're going to mention, like, I have some memories of meeting with you and like kind of the inner Harbor of Van, uh, Vancouver and just our kind of early days of meeting, but that goes way back, way back. That's a sliding doors moment. I've thought of that a few times because the other two parties are unbelievably sharp, successful, you know, fundraisers. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that would have been really interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But then none of us did it, but you actually did. So you actually created Frontier. Uh, tell us a little bit more about how you, you came to kind of be in the space and create, uh, create Frontier. Yeah. And uh, purely accidentally. Um, <laughs> and it's, and it's taken me a long time to really embrace that. Like, yeah, we're an agency and, and that's a good thing. And, and it's, it's part of a, a bigger trend for charities as well. Um, so I, I used to work at what is now our first client in Union Gospel Mission, serving inner city uh, folks in the downtown east side. Um, I decided to move away from Vancouver. And, you know, but that was back before you could work from home. <laughs> and so I, I had to go work elsewhere. And one of the things I, I, I said to my now client was like, well, why replace my job when I can just work from you on the, on the side? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll just be your consultant. And what was interesting about it was, so I, I decided to name it after my grandpa's uh, old engineering company. So hmm. Frontier Engineering um, is now Frontier Marketing. Um, and uh, that was purely accidental. And then it turns out a couple of our first clients came my way also by my, my old employer. And I, it was just, uh, hey, like, can you help us out too? And oh, sure, I guess so. Um, and then eventually they were like, we don't want to do the work. Do you know anyone else who can design and write and do all the actual production work of, of an agency? And, and I started calling together people I knew and <laughs> that actually turns into an agency accidentally. There you go. And that was what, 12, 15 years? Uh, not, not quite that long ago. Um, I, I, I guess 11 years ago. So 2010 was when it go. all happened and kind of, and that slow growth in 2011 and 2012. There you go. Well, I want to talk uh, kind of like multi-channel and online, offline in Canada specific, because, you yep. know, you and your team have been sharing a lot of your results in some of the data, uh, specifically around 2020, which is why we're like, hey, let's have you on the podcast and let's talk about some of these things. Awesome. So you're a full service agency, not just digital. We are. And have been, you know, had some really successful results. What, what are some of the things that you saw either for your own clients or just within the Canadian market as it relates to fundraising, uh, you know, in the past year, both online and offline? Yeah, well, one thing that I, I love about us chatting is like both of us have been so passionate about online fundraising in the 2010s. And sometimes I'm starting to feel when people got wise to digital, there's so many things that get like, oh, 2020, like digital. <laughs> and, then, and then they're bringing up even integrated marketing. Yeah. And I was like, I have been a passionate supporter of online fundraiser. Like I did my first Facebook ads in 2008 mm -hmm. and they, they've changed. But like Google ads have changed like a little bit. And, and I was just like, this has been around for so long. And like, we had one client who I was like, oh, you only raised a hundred thousand online. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, oh, and then they're like, well, we've grown so much in the last year or two. And I was like, oh, I just assumed you've been doing this for 10 years. Like I have. Right. Right. Uh, and like, and I was like, oh, it's just this, how many are late bloomers even? Yeah. Uh, is, is one of the themes of, of like, and, and I, I see it with direct mail as well. It's like you can start at any time. Um, I think that's something that's come to mind for me is a lot of organizations I know that they were raising hundreds of thousands or maybe just crossed the $1 million mark, mm -hmm. embracing their growth. Mm. Um, seeing that and maybe, and maybe also combined with a generational changeover in who we work with, mm. like just on, on the client side. Um, all of a sudden, we, we have a new executive director. I'm 35 and she was 33. And it was just like this moment of like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like there's a you know, millennials are, are in the, and the leadership team now. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Gen X, they, they just <laughs> continue to get passed over for everything. But right. um, yeah. And, and of course, with that came um, the native understanding of, of, of digital, right? Yeah. yeah and, it's and funny. not from a, yeah, a folksy like board member trying to talk digital to me kind of thing. Right. Uh, that's funny. It's like the, you know, it took me years to become an overnight success kind of thing. Like that's kind of how digital is. And it's like, it's, like you said, there's some of us have been, you know, clanging pots and pans, like digital, digital, you know, for years and years and finally be like, Hey, this digital thing is actually kind of cool. It's yeah. like, gosh, what, you know, better late than never. So that's good. Um, yeah, you know, I, I saw a report from uh black bod, their charitable giving report, which mm. the Canadian data within it is, not nearly as comprehensive, obviously, as the U.S. data, but they're basically saying 2020 giving was kind of down. 
Is that something that that you and your clients experienced? Is that something like overall, but maybe not in direct response? Or um, what, what did you see in Canada specific to that? Yeah, and it's like, you know, um, so in Canada, charitable giving is a $16 billion industry. And a couple of things that I would say, so I, a lot of our clients are uh, from the sort of faith sector of um, either parachurch type fundraising and, and not necessarily pure ministry the way it churches. And, and I think obviously church giving is down. Like, mm-hmm. And, and my, my stance on that is that type of giving is like a gym membership. Um, and, and that's in flux because people aren't attending. It's, a, it's physical mm-hmm. events. Mm. So everything event driven was affected and, mm. and that is an event driven thing to, mm-hmm. to show up on Sunday and, and, and pass um, giving. And so I, I think that was one thing. And then a lot of organizations uh, took a step back. They're like, mm. oh, well, may, maybe we're not relevant during a right. pandemic. Uh, right. Maybe we shouldn't do mailings or let, let's think this through cautiously. Um, our clients uh, thought this through quickly and said, we want to be like, giving donors every opportunity to be part of, uh, the needs that are happening here and let's pivot and, and move. And, and I, so I do think there was like a K-shaped uh, approach to fundraising that like those who stepped back and maybe had less purpose, mm. um, they certainly raised less money. Mm-hmm. Um, um, universities are a big part of giving in Canada for like the big gifts. And mm-hmm. I think those would have taken a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, event driven in a, in a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, if you were a poverty organization, international development, uh, from what I've seen from other stats, even uh, I think you've shared as well, MNR benchmarks, mm-hmm. those were growers. Mm-hmm. So one of the, I mean, we we all kind of at this point know that one of the big stories of 2020 for fundraising was the rise of digital. But I think an undertold or misunderstood story is how important mail was still. Wow. Uh, yes you know, for a lot of organizations, you know, the, the big male folks that I rely on, like Nicholas Ellinger and more group, you know, they're up 15%. Like it was an unbelievable year for direct mail too. I don't know if that's something that you saw in Canada as well. Yeah. Like, well, I'm just thinking of one of our October pieces had a response rate over 25%. (laughs) Um, Like uh, it was, it was outstanding how both from a donor cultivation as well as acquiring new donors, just we had the best response rate for for our postal walks, inserts, uh, rented lists, mm. uh, eplaps mailers, um, and and yeah. The, but one of the things I also described, uh, I, I'd kind of draw a parallel that um, mail is like home delivery business, and the home delivery business was also up. Right. Um, and sometimes we go like, oh, mail, and and, and why why keep doing that in in the twenty first century? Mm-hmm. I was like, well can you think of why we might do home delivery? Mm-hmm. Have you purchased anything on Amazon and eBay? And, yeah. you know, as much as that's a digital experience, you're receiving something physical in the end. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I also think like uh, you and I are great examples of like millennials have embraced the technical side of direct response. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think some of the history of direct response in general was like all these best practices of, of the madman era Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of boomer white guy that really didn't necessarily approach it technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just in a growing industry without much need for technicality. Mm. Um, and now when we refer to like data science and, and direct mail, it's like, it's absolutely important or you need to know psychology and, and, and how to write good versions of, of appeals. Um, so like doing it well is also a combination that's probably happening there. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So what are some of those things that you found with you and your clients that, 
um, work really well in the mail or some of the, like the tips for someone listening who's like, yeah, we didn't see those results in the mail. What can we do to, you know, Im- improve some of our results? Yeah. Um, uh, one that we, so we stopped using the word branding, um, at frontier and, and started to use word, uh, messaging partly because mm. if you say branding to an organization, it's like, well, our, our, our red is just like, we we've had it for a while and the Liverpool look, and I'm just looking <laughs> at your background there. And it's like, we've got a great brand. Well, yeah. what's there to change? Uh, especially we, we, we paid for it like 25 mm-hmm. years ago. Like we, there's no re- need to do it again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, well, what does $75 do, which is the average first time gift of a Canadian. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, it, it does good things. And it's like, okay. And like, so do you have accessible messaging to tell me like what my $75 gift would do? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other end, it's like, I, I use this analogy of a watch where like I have this wonderful $80 Timex watch. Like if you're taking a look at it, like it just, it looks beautiful premium. for those who can't see yeah, it's yeah, beautiful, yeah. but it's not a $10,000 watch. <laughs> and can you imagine Timex releasing like a, this is our new high value series, you know, for $10,000 or even uh, Rolex doing a, Hey, we, we want to do an, an, an annual watch club and it's only 80 bucks. It's mm-hmm. like their brands are set with that message, including the price. Mm. Um, and, but a charity, oddly enough, doesn't have that constraint. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I might be able to be a $75 donor. Um, but you could be a $7,500 donor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't use the same messaging um, for both. And not in terms of how to, how to speak to you, but how, how to speak to the organization and, and the value there. And I, I do think that's where a lot of organizations need to get more advanced is, is having multi-tiers for messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and really walking away from, when you see it in direct mail, the worst is like, you know, Brady, your gift of 25 100 500 or one thousand dollars and you see that they didn't do any segmentation <laughs> mm-hmm. and they 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 don't want to be so bold as to say like will you give fifty dollars now you know x dollars for y people mm-hmm. and it's just let's just lay all the amounts out there yeah um and and that's still a major leap for a lot of organizations to to better quantify what they do yeah no that's that's definitely um and it's funny because there's so much evidence and research around especially on the acquisition or lower dollar and lower donor amounts of just like that, that just works almost every single time, you know, like, I don't know how much more research we need to prove that like you should be, you should be doing this. What we've seen on the digital side around that is like, we don't actually see that a lot either, where it's like the same types of tactics that are, you know, more Hmm. common in direct mail of just saying merge tags. And since your last gift of this, would you consider a gift of this, you know, and goes to a a landing page that's pre-populated with 75 that we asked, like, We've already yeah. proven those things in, in direct mail. And we know that humans don't suddenly radically change who they are and how they interact with things the minute, but they're behind a keyboard as opposed to behind a piece of paper. There's some differences, but the fundamental humanness of it doesn't just all of a sudden disappear, you know? And Absolutely. like we, we see very, very, very little of that on the digital side. So like, that's a huge opportunity. And then on both sides, moving beyond dollar amounts and into this more of a deeper sense of identity, I think is still... We don't know nearly enough about who donors actually are, mm-hmm. you know, how often they give and how much they give and what their name is and what they give to are all rough proxies and possible yep. glimpses into who they are. But if, if we can kind of go beyond that, you know, and really get a sense of who they are and what they care about in their like more core identity, I think that's the secret to unlocking more like of the retention side of things. You know, it's hard to know that from a stranger. But once we start to get to know them, I think that's been a, a missing piece. I don't know if you've experienced that. 
Oh, well said. And I think um, one of the things that you you just said, like the humanness, that's a big one where I think when we would first chat in the late 2000s, early 2010s, um, I think people conflated the idea of early adopters. So like, mm. we were on Twitter and, and we we're just very active on social media. And like I got a uh, Gmail account in 2005. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's this idea of digital savvy folks. Um, but then they became digital donors as if they were a different species of people <laughs> right and, and it was like okay well, we're going to send this direct mail copy it's going to be so different than the email copy because uh, you know they're just totally different people mm-hmm. you know and margaret and martha over here and ben and brady over there and i was like oh so but then now it's 2020 and i and i i sent a google hangout message to my daughter who has an email address and like guess what you got on your first day of work an email address like mm-hmm. it, it was just like it, it's we've reached the point of full integration of digital yeah. right there's, there's no one who's saying like, I, I just, I don't think the internet's around. I don't trust it. <laughs> right. and, and if they are, they're probably just not, you know, you're a donor. Um, so <laughs> the idea of treating a, a person as a person is, has been one thing. And then mm-hmm. just the other being like the, the myth of donor fatigue. And I, I, I it's like, no, um, Jeff Brooks talks about it. And I believe it of like fundraiser fatigue instead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's, it's just hard work trying to figure out donors. And, yeah, and do time. merge tags like and not make a mistake mm-hmm. it's like why why bother when you could just send everyone the same generic content right um and and i do think that's one advantage of working with an agency is like we're we're kind of born and bred to work hard every day and and serve that specific purpose yeah um but that the trend is to to do what we've always should have done um but you know maybe now there's maybe a higher roi and, and it's it's proven This episode and podcast are proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, you've heard Brady talk about it with our guests before, but I wanted to remind you that giving to a cause is deeply personal and your fundraising should be too. Unfortunately, today's nonprofits are handcuffed to outdated fundraising models that reserve personal connections for a select few major donors. Instead of creating connection, Traditional impersonal tactics alienate your donors and create distance between the donor and their impact. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships at scale. Responsive fundraising with Virtuous combines modern technology, data intelligence, and donor-centric giving experiences to foster personalized conversations with every donor. Virtuous is more than just a CRM. They unify fundraising, marketing, and donor development activities, ridding teams of redundant back office tasks, and revealing the insights needed to deliver dynamic campaigns. And all of this happens in one place. You can turn data into deeper donor relationships and grow your fundraising with Virtuous. And to learn more about responsive fundraising with them, you can visit virtuous.org slash generosity. That's V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S dot org slash generosity. You mentioned some of the things that kind of you and your team were learning. What what are some other things that that really stood out to you in terms of what you learned last year or are learning now? Our learning now is um, spending more time helping clients build personas. Hmm. Um, so... I guess a lot of our trends of like, how do we help a client get through some of the fundraising myths? And one being the, well, our donors, Brady, 
our donors, like I know our donors. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, like all of them, like there's 20,000. <laughs> yeah. And, and somehow just, you know, their common variable, of course, that they give to you and that they're all identical. Uh, and, and so it, even just working out and it's like, Oh, well, we're, we'll send out a survey. And it's like, well, okay. Sample size mm-hmm. uh, of those who've answered a survey via your email. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them are on Instagram. So get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's just remembering. Um, so one thing we've been helping with is like, let's call donors and mm. like, it's okay to have qualitative feedback as well. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and, and build these models of different types of donors that you might have. Yeah. And you know, Ben, the blue collar self-employed and, you know, he grew up going to church and this is why he likes, you know, and just maybe fleshing out some of what isn't and like what's true about the I know my donors is I have a deep intuitive sense of who supports but I might not have a equipping model to help my agency and my fellow people and and even from a succession planning like how do we talk about who our donors are Mm -hmm. for the next 10 years Mm -hmm. Um, so so that's been a big one Hmm. Um, and and really getting into phone-based communication uh, we've we've started doing these broadcast voice messages Hmm. um, Timing with our, our appeals. Uh, so in Canada, the CRTC doesn't allow uh, these messages to, to be fundraising focused. Uh, but I can be like, Brady, I just, you know, just want to give you an update from what's happening. Um, the bird sanctuary has five more beautiful little critters and we're taking care of this heron. Um, you can reach me at xyz.com. And we had one fundraising appeal where we did a 50-50 test mm-hmm. and the client's response rate, one was about 5%. And the other half was almost a 10% response rate. Wow. That's From like those who received the call? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, the only difference was like, hey, this is just a quick call to update you. Yeah. You know, this donor that we really appreciate and want to provide valuable information. Um, and like literally a minute of the client's time, right? Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, we've been, we've been advocating for people to do that for a long time because we've seen the same thing. A pre-postcard. You know, I think the same thing could be used with a text message. If it's a voicemail, yep. like none of those should actually be asks. You know, the ask is coming in the mail or in the email or both. So two to three weeks before or whatever, how do you prime them with another prime message exactly. in another channel? Like it's, it's not that crazy, especially those kind of broadcast services. They're relatively, you know, affordable. Uh, so that, that's really cool to know that you guys are doing that. Yeah. Um, what, what about a challenge? I mean, we've talked about a lot of positive things and a lot of growth and cool ideas and stuff. What was like a, a huge challenge? I mean, obviously the, the, the natural ones of remote work and things like that, but maybe specific to fundraising. What, what did you and your team face? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, it's uh, as I'm calling into you from a rainy shed in the, my backyard. Um, I, that, I, that I actually think has benefited agencies like us where we were, we were separate from our, our clients and now we're kind of all from our homes. Mm. So it's hard to tell on a Zoom call who works at the client's uh, location. Mm. Um, and uh, so, the, you know, the opportunity of who is my neighbor and we're all together mm. has, I think, benefited agencies. But I'd say challenge-wise is, um, the, you know, the pace of change in cultural communication and how, how do news events really affect uh, marketing communication it's like there, there's been some pretty serious ones uh, as a british columbian in, in canada right now over the last few weeks and um mm. uh, are, are is what we're about to send tone deaf or mm. do we do our, do our programs in positively and negatively affect and, and 2020 seemed to be just this this uh kind of scenario generator of like you know disaster alerts 
fires in Australia, disaster alert, you know, like it's mm-hmm. referencing community. And, and it's just like, I, I think there was those moments for, for clients to, sometimes you, you feel like you're, 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 it's okay that your direct response isn't overly related to current events, but other times it really does challenge you. Mm. Yeah. That's, I think that was a challenge for, for everyone last year to figure out how to, you know, be relevant or what if we aren't the most relevant, can we still, yeah, yeah. you know, send this or not? Um, and hopefully that continues because that should be something that we're always thinking about is what is like relevancy is a huge factor when we look at like email opens or opening the mail, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. why Absolutely. is this relevant to me right now today? That's a huge thing we need to be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of this stuff really doesn't, it's not like a Canada US thing, although you're based in Canada and work with mostly Canadian clients. Um, what are some of the differences that, that you do see between kind of fundraising in, in Canada and the U S well, um, there's this one, uh, uh, the donor agitator, I'm kind of forgetting the, the name. they've got this tool that I, I love, uh, copy optimizer, mm-hmm. um, and like love, 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 like it, it, it did something for me that connected with one thing that I think U S organizations do a better job. Uh, which, which good fundraising writing I've always said is you need to write like a Southern president. Mm. And it's just like, how did, and I wrote this blog post in 2015 that um, it was a fun moment. I later like put it in this copy optimizer and it's literally the perfect fundraising. <laughs> and, I, and, and it was just like these, one of those things was like, aha, like, <laughs> hey team, like I had did it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not quantifiably perfect. Yeah. Um, and, but like this, site, how do you have like smart, but casual and that folksy tone and, mm. and this relatable, engaging, you know, like Brady, when, when I was a 13 year old boy and, and, and my, my, my dad stepped to beside me after I lost that game. And this is what he said to me. Mm-hmm. And so part of them, like that American culture is a little bit better at, at, at that folksy language. Mm-hmm. Cause we, we don't, there isn't like a region in Canada necessarily that has the like, Oh, right. you, know, you just, you need, you need that Albertan twang kind of thing. Like it it <laughs> yeah. doesn't. And then we, we don't tend to have very eloquent leaders come from there. So there isn't you know, like a culture where, where we can say like, you know, just channel your inner Bill Clinton kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I think we fall short there. Um, structurally there's, you know, my, my social justice where it comes out is like, there is more of a middle class in Canada, mm. um, because of a social safety net, mm-hmm. otherwise some call it socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's less of a high, high and low, low. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think we don't have as, as a overly similar fundraising structure mm. where there's, you know, this many people making over hundred K and this many people making under 30 K and needing food stamps. Mm. Uh, like I, I started watching the show shameless mm-hmm. and, and it's just like, this is, this is, this is not Canadian culture. This like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like, and not, not to say like poverty doesn't exist in Canada, but the structure of it is different. Yeah. Um, and, and so this, the, the less individualism, would affect fundraising, right? Like where mm-hmm. we do expect, uh, like there is a debate in Canada about food banks is like, shouldn't that be a government service? Mm-hmm. And like, as if when you're in Texas, you're like, oh, actually that's also a debate here. And like, it's like even, oh, like it was so funny because, you know, even so much of your energy in Texas was privatized. Uh-huh. Tur- turns out that may or may not have been the Didn't best Didn't work idea. out so well for many people <laughs> yeah, 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 few months exactly. ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, hopefully you didn't get a $20,000 bill. And, uh, we did not. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I do think this yeah. the, um, maybe a larger social sector is one of the things that, that does have an interplay. And, and, and maybe the last one that we're, we're kind of late to the party to professionalize fundraising. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, as, as you know, you and I felt like, especially out, out in the West, where like 
that we did not live in the in Toronto meant mm-hmm. we were in, yeah. in the true frontier of fundraising kind right. of thing. And and so and like just the yeah, the way the Canadian fundraising scene has, has grown a new generation of, of professionals, I think has helped. Yeah, that's that's great. I think all those things are actually pretty pretty bang on. And I mean, you see similar trends with other like more socialist countries when you look at like generosity levels and things like that and and how much giving goes on. Like there it is less because the government provides a lot more of those services. So there's like less demand, less need, and it's mm-hmm, not as mm-hmm. built into, you know, culture and things like that. That's interesting. Good plug for copy optimizer, by the way, we're doing a research study with, with donor voice using copy optimizer on awesome. uh, 2,100 email appeals were putting through their, their tool to figure out how email is actually being written or not. So teaser there more to come. Well, cool. Thank you so much for, for sharing some of that. Um, I want to move on to, to podcasts. I mean, we're on a podcast, you have a podcast. Okay. And, and audio in general, but um, why did you decide to start your own podcast? Oh, and, and I, I recommend it this year to all of our clients, partly because like when they do it, I want to take credit for it. And I'm like, hey, remember <laughs> that time? And, and uh, so like just part of my ethos and belief for um, the way trends work in fundraising, I, my kind of my joke is it's like watching your dog run away in the prairies. Like it happens so <laughs> slowly and you know, you're not going to miss it. You know, it's like the, it's like the roller and Austin Powers slowly coming at you. And because like you and I have probably been like, I remember my first podcast I've been listening to is probably 2012. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're talking about it now as a trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, guess what charities? It's going to be around in 2030. Right. This is how exciting our space is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, have you heard of Spotify? There's Spotify ads. And, and, and I think also this perception of like, well, how do you even create a podcast? And we lucked out, you know, we're on zoom together. And I think the kind of really helped us is um, I decided to take a Seth Godin uh, podcast fellowship mm. and kind of learn that process and cool. kind of get inspired there. And then we got thrown into our homes and it turns out, you know, we need a headset and a Zoom account anyways. <laughs> yeah. And you save this file. And one thing that I found was uh, this uh, podcast fast track helps us um, with the editing. Mm. Uh, like we initially used a member of our team, but this is not something that needs to be our, our core competency. And um, the really cool thing about podcasting, I find, is it's yet to be defined all the best practices. Mm. Um, and so, um, there's an organization that I knew in, in Vancouver that they did a, like a seven part series. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a closed versus open-ended the way mm-hmm. this is. And, and so it could be like, so for us, it was like, what would it be like to just chat every two weeks about what's happening right now in fundraising mm-hmm. and culture? Um, so it's not necessarily in depth or interview format like this, mm-hmm. uh, but like, Hey, this just happened in the news. Like, is this relevant in fundraising? The answer is usually no, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, how do you start to pick up the kind of the linkage between pop culture and fundraising? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, how do you think, uh, I mean, you kind of alluded to it there, but like, how do you think uh, podcast or even audio in general? I mean, when you look at things like clubhouse, which I still don't understand, I, pro- I don't know. I, if I, I don't just... think clubhouse itself will take off. Uh, that's my theory there. But what about just audio in general? Cause it's, it's a, totally underused thing in nonprofits, which isn't to say they should use it, but it's pretty clear that it's underused. Do you think it'll be a part of, uh, or could be, or should be a part of how nonprofits engage their donors in the future or even now? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was saying to them, again, most of our clients like this, a new medium for your communication channels has opened up. Um, and one of the things as a digital fundraiser, I hated was uh, a client going like, Oh, we couldn't finish fit this into the newsletter, but guess what? The website can fit it. 
And then I kept having to be like, no, no, the website is really funny. These are attention spans. Even if you're 75 years old are quite short uh-huh. and we, we, we want visually appealing and, and white space and, and like, what even is that? And, and so learning design best practices for the web, there was this like fighting against the desire for infinite content. Mm-hmm. And so at one, it was like one part of podcasting is like, Hey, well, maybe that in-depth interview that you wanted to put on the web is actually an audio series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's an opportunity to feature key donors. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or talk about some of the more more social issues that you wouldn't otherwise be talking to every donor. Mm-hmm. Um, so like how how do we have more diversity and and equity and inclusion? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's a podcast series that you start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's a way that you can communicate genuinely, authentically through audio that might feel different than if you just put it into a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mean when you look at some of the the response rates and things like that that we see in the United States, at least around like text and SMS. And it's another thing that like, it shouldn't, shouldn't be that new, but it's very similar. You need great content and you just are delivering it through a different way that people can consume it. So audio or text or email or mail, like we have to learn this all over again with more and more new channels and you don't chase the micro channel like clubhouse or TikTok or MySpace or whatever it is. But you should think about the macro channel, like people consume audio more today than they ever have in the history of humankind. Maybe that could be something that we could use to communicate to our folks is through an audio type channel, you know, like those types of things for sure we should be, uh, you know, exploring and thinking about the storytelling too. like a lot of these podcasts and the the series and what you can do in, in the audio format. And like, I think that's a big opportunity, you know, to do like a almost annual report cultivation kind of series. That's just kind of a three part, you know, recap of what your, your dollars did this year and, you know, audio clips from the field, like you can be much more creative and it's not as costly perhaps as video and you don't need, you know what I mean? Like there's all these things that I don't know for really exploring that would be really interesting. So hopefully you and your clients can do it and tell me what works. Yeah. And, and we'll report back in 2028 when all the best. Practices <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, remember when we talked about this, um, yeah. before we get onto a few rapid fire questions, where can people find uh, your podcast? What is it called? Where can they get it? Yeah. I uh, named it frontier FM because I wanted to go frontier.fm as, as a domain. Um, so you can check it out that way and, and on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Cool. We'll be sure to to link to it as well. So initially we were going to talk some kind of baseball because that's another kind yeah, of common that's what, bond. That's what got me on the pod. Common, common <laughs> bond. So I'll have to ask you a few baseball questions. Some of these are, are a little dated, but um, so our beloved Blue Jays, uh, do you think they're going to make the playoffs? You know, it's, it's funny because if you had asked me uh, earlier, I would have said yes, because I didn't know they'd tightened up the playoff format again. <laughs> um, so, well, whoops, I don't, I don't, it's close, but I don't think so. I, I, I don't want to be a pessimist, but I think it's, it's just like the first team left out is my guess. Hmm. I hope that's not true. Uh, this isn't baseball related, but what's the, the best book you've read lately? Oh, uh, Good question. I've, I've actually kind of transitioned to getting more into fiction. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm actually going back into the Harry Potter books again. Classics. Um, 
And, and I, I stumbled upon, if anyone's a big football fan, uh, Bill Walsh has these book series. Hmm. Um, and it's called uh, The Score Takes Care of Itself. I, I've been listening as an audiobook. Um, but like part of my belief is like most business books have been written, uh, great business books have been written already. Like just go with the classics. Love it. Uh, favorite nerdy baseball stat? Um, weighted runs created plus. Uh, I've been, uh, it's funny is that you should mention is uh, I've been involved in helping some friends create dodgeball. And, and you, as you know, that's a, my new passion sport is dodgeball world. Uh-huh. And I, and I, what I want is an aggregate score. Like <laughs> if first you get your stats uh-huh. and then we got stats that add to other stats. Uh-huh. And then I really like in this you sort of the advanced baseball world is like, how is someone's performance relative to others? Mm-hmm. And just to be like, Oh, um, Brady's, you know, 200% better than you know, average kind of thing. And yeah. yeah, so that's been a good one for me. I can't and, wait. And to, it just looks so nerdy, right? Yeah, I can't wait till you invent that for dodgeball. That'll be amazing. <laughs> what about fa- favorite nerdy fundraising stat? Oh, uh, also good. Um, I, I worked on one that was just pretty basic, uh, just calling it net change, where, um, you know, it's not the be all end all for showing growth, but just, just putting together your new donors, your reactivated donors, minus your lapsed. Mm. And just seeing how that is happening over a multi-year span. Yeah, I like that. And the focus on net as opposed to percentage is, is generally speaking, always a, a more indicative thing in kind of how you're doing. And it's harder yeah. to game the, the net than it is the percentage. So that well said. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was one thing that we realized it was, it was individual to the organization for their context. Yeah, of course. And sure. because if we did percentages, it was just all over there. And like, so we weren't able to, to decide on a usual range. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, who's going to win the AL MVP? Oh, well, okay, like that's one I'll change. I want. I'm all in for Vlad. I'm. You got to be now. Let's, yeah. let's let's go, Junior here, and he is just so exciting to watch. He ins- he mu- he's making me inspired to want to lose twenty pounds. <laughs> forty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Let alone forty. Yeah. yeah. It makes uh, it makes me feel bad. I drafted him in our keeper fantasy league like four years ago. And I was hanging on to him and hanging on to him. We have a three-year policy. I had to give him up. And now's the year when he goes off and I don't have him. So it sucks. Uh, Favorite piece of advice you've heard lately? Uh, Well, speaking of email lists, I suggest anyone uh, go follow James Clear. Uh, He wrote Atomic Habits, but I think his his best work is in his weekly email series. Um, I'll pull up one that I put on Instagram. um, And he says, most people don't want accurate information. They want validating information. Growth requires you to be open to unlearning ideas that previously served you. And uh, I think that's very true in the donor and charitable context when you talk about us as marketers, um, but even just the ability to move on from best practices. And I think as, as we enter our second phase of life, you too, there's the idea of unlearning. Mm-hmm. Love it. That's great. Well, Ben, thank you so much for kind of sharing more about your own journey, what you're learning, what your team's learning, and some of your baseball predictions. I I hope most of them turn out. So uh, that's great. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, um, Frontier.io. I'm Ben Johnson, or you can find me on LinkedIn. That's my primary social channel. Um, And Ben at Frontier.io. There we go. Well, thanks again. We'll be sure to send all those links out.
Thank you so much for listening to the Generosity Freak Show brought to you by our friends at Virtuous, the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. Be sure to subscribe to all future episodes at generosityfreakshow.com or search the Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, other platforms that start with S, or wherever you get your pods. Now, the Generosity Freak Show is a production of Next After, where we combine the perpetual learning of a fundraising research lab, the practical application of a digital-first agency, and the rigorous instruction of a training institute to decode what works in fundraising and make it accessible to as many organizations as possible. You can learn more about the work that we do and get free evidence-based fundraising resources at nextafter.com. Now, this show would not be possible without a few folks, including our mixologist, Jacob Hill, producers Riley Landenberger and Nathan Hill, and the chief visionary behind it all, Tim Kuchuriak. So thank you so much again for listening. And no matter where you are or what you're doing right now, I hope you're having a great day.